Okay, so tonight we're going to kind of break these verses down and starting with verse 1. So chapter 3, verse 1 says, Finally, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. To write this again is no trouble to me, but it is a safeguard to you. And so this phrase, to write this again, um, the words here for troublesome and irksome, so that would be a way to say it's no trouble, so it's no trouble, it's not irksome for him, because these words, the words that are coming, so he's not referencing back. So up until this point, a lot of his conjunctions have been linking back to what he said before, but now we're looking forward. So we have a break, we're looking forward into what's coming in the next section. Um, And he's saying that to repeat these things is not troublesome because it is a safeguard or a protection for them. So what we can kind of get from this is that they've had this conversation before, but that he doesn't mind repeating himself because it is for their benefit and it is something that he doesn't mind doing to help them. And so in breaking down verse three or verse two here, the translation that he uses says, beware of the dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of those who mutilate the flesh. So automatically, we have a very different tone here. Up until this point, it's been kind of uplifting and it's been very encouraging. But now we have this kind of interjection into the text where he is calling out these three different kinds of people or these three different qualifications of different people. And, and it is a very different tone to the text. And so it kind of begs the question of why, why are we suddenly shifting? And so it seems, and I think I'm getting ahead of myself on one of the slides, but it seems like there has been some issue that's not super prevalent at the time. Otherwise, it would be more present throughout the letter. But his audience would have known that whatever he's referencing here, that this was an issue, just not something that was on the forefront of his mind, but he still thought it important enough to remind them of. So we're going to break this down because there's a lot of context behind each of these words because it is rather harsh language. So the first word here, this is the word beware. So it's in here three times. So that automatically draws significance to it because he's saying over and over and over again, beware. And in Greek, you don't have to do that. You can say it one time and then the clauses follow through, but he's choosing to repeat that. And so it draws significance to they need to be aware and they need to be on guard for this. This word is in the present tense. And so in Greek, that tells us that it is a continuous action. So it's not like, oh, you should be aware of this at some point. No, this is continually be aware, continually be aware of these things. And it's an ongoing uh, warning for them, which makes sense because some of the problems facing the early church were ongoing and they occurred often. And pretty much across all of the churches, they had some similar issues. And so his warning to them is continuous. Now, this word here is is dog. That's the word. And, and there is a specific context that goes behind this. Now, even in English, to call somebody, that is not good, right? We all know that that is an insult, like across the board. That's an insult. But it's very, very specific in Greek. It has a very specific context beyond even what we would say, that's just not nice, right? So here, it is a metaphor, clearly, Um, because dogs at that time in Greco-Roman society, they were detested. They weren't pets like what we have now. So it's not like somebody would hear of this animal and go, oh, I love, I love pets. No, it's not, that's not what's going on. These are, they're scavengers. Think wild dogs that are scavenging and they're a nuisance. Nobody liked them. It was not good. And so this was a massive insult for somebody. 
The second thing here is that it implies a sense of reproach and it is describing the character of these false teachers. And so he is qualifying them as those who are detested, as those who are reproachful. And it is associating that it would have been very insulting to whoever this group of people is, which we'll get into in a minute. And so it carries over kind of even more than in our own society, this particular insult. It's, it's rather harsh, quite honestly. This next phrase here, in the translation, it's evil workers. And different translations will say those who do evil, those who, it has different kind of translations. Um, but it is a combination of two words, the word for evil and then the word for doer or worker. I think doer is better in this context, even though the word can mean worker. We're not talking about somebody who's doing work. We're talking about somebody who does evil. And so that's probably more literal in this case. And again, we have a description of somebody's character. So he's not just naming somebody. He is actually describing them in these words and, and listing that in this sense of beware. Beware of the people who do evil. Beware of the people who are detested in society. So this is like all kinds of layers of beware of this. And this last word here, and we're going to get into this more in the next slide, because what Paul is doing is he's setting up a comparison between these two verses. On the one hand, beware of all of this stuff. And then he's going to go into it a little bit deeper in a comparison in the next verse, which we'll get into on the next slide or two. But here, mutilators, he is specifically referring this word to circumcision. So in his mind here, these are, we can kind of go through the text, these are those who are adding to the gospel saying that you must do these other things in order to be saved. So this is specifically who he's talking to. So we can kind of infer from this context that we have some, some Judaizers among the mix. These are those who are going from city to city and they're preaching and they're saying, yes, Christ, okay, but you also have to uphold the law. You also have to do these things to be saved. So here with this word, we get context as to exactly what he's warning them against. And so putting it into, putting that particular context in their evildoers, their dogs, it shows how Paul really feels and how the attitude towards those who are uh, manipulating the gospel message and how careful the churches needed to be. Again, since this isn't a primary portion of the letter, because if this were a big problem, it would have been like first in chapter one. Um, so this isn't a current problem for the Philippians is kind of what most scholars land on, but it is something they have probably encountered or at minimum other cities are dealing with this. And so they need to be aware that, that this is a problem and something they may need to deal with. Like in Galatians. Like in Galatians. Yes. We're, some of us are going through Galatians and Paul is quite, quite harsh throughout Galatians in his chastisement of, of those people. Are there any thoughts, any questions, any comments before we expand a little bit more on this idea of beware? Okay, now, so I have the verse up here again, just so that we can rephrase. Again, the context is speaking about those who would distort the gospel. This is specifically the group they're called Judaizers. It's, they're not really mentioned often in scripture by name. It's just the name that's kind of associated with them based on the teachings that we can glean from the way that Paul addresses that. Um, again, dogs would, be, would have also been considered unclean. And here is where Paul is kind of using some context to really get a dig at that particular group of people. The Jews often referred to Gentiles as dogs. That was one of the insults that they levied against them. And so here Paul is using the very insult that they use 
and directing it back at them. And so for this particular group, it would have been even more insulting. So not only are they equated to an animal that everybody hates, but also their own insults are now turned back against them. And that would have been something that they would have really, it would have really bothered and hit home there. Um, evil workers. So we talked about how these also are evil doers, but that word does mean both. And so um, it kind of recalls this idea that the Jews did rely upon the works of the law in a sense. And so placing just the idea of works within a context of evil, it reverses in a way the Jewish perception of obedience to the law. And so it's placing it, no, you're fine, come on in. And so it, it reverses the good that they would have seen in the law. And that, that's not to detract from the purpose that the law served, right? They, Paul clarifies that in other letters, but it is to highlight that adding all of those additional qualifications makes it a distortion of the gospel and therefore an evil thing. Um, this idea of mutilation, remember, you know, circumcision was a sign of God's covenant with the Jews from the Old Testament. And so the problem is not the act itself. It's not the medical procedure. The problem is relying on that because that was the sign of that covenant. And so relying upon that because that is so much what the Judaizers were going back to. And it was that reliance. And so placing that in context, it's like, why are you distorting the gospel? Why are you requiring these things? These things are no longer required. And then, of course, we have the tie to salvation because for them, for the Jews at that point, the upkeep of the law was what kept them and was securing them as God's people. And now that's clearly no longer because we now have the new covenant with Christ's sacrifice. Um, this is the only mention in the books. So like I said, this is clearly not a big issue, but it is something he felt the need to mention. And we're going to move right on along to something different in a minute. Um, any thoughts, questions before we head into a discussion question? So I typed the question up here. I typed the questions from the book because I'm going to skip around a lot in the book tonight just because of the way that it's laid out. We're going to skip around totally. So I wanted to start with question nine. <laughs> so the question is, what is Paul warning Christians about in verse two? So the verse we just reviewed. And why do you think he's so harsh? But then I wanted to go straight in our groups into these implication questions. Um, and these are in the back of your book too, but I typed them out just in case you didn't have your books. So the first one is one of the dogs of verse two might argue circumcision is a command of God. So, you know, we ought to do this. It's a matter of obedience. How would you respond? Or how do you think the early church might have responded? Because again, they're still in this in-between time where not everybody is on board understanding the same things. Followed closely with, have you heard similar arguments today? You know, with how in the church there are some people who will say, well, you need to do this, and that's how you're saved, or you need to do this. And so I wanted to kind of talk about things that maybe we've encountered that is now the, kind of the today's version of this. So moving on to verse 3, and we're going to kind of camp here at verse 3 for a slide or two. Um, so verse 3 says, for we are the circumcision. So we go from the last verse where we are condemning it to now we are the circumcision. The ones who worship by the Spirit of God exalt in Christ Jesus and do not rely on human credentials. So I have just a bit of kind of background here. And then we're going to go into breaking it down the word by word like we did in the last slide. Um, so we have a metaphorical usage here. Okay, so in the first slide, it was identification of a certain group of people. Here we have a metaphorical usage, okay? And this is meaning the people of God, which we know through the new covenant has now shifted from being exclusively Israel now to open to the Gentiles. And so this, this usage has shifted. Um, 
course, we know that that particular um, sign was ground in the Mosaic Covenant, and that identified Israel as God's chosen people. Um, and this sign was metaphorical to represent the status of God's chosen people now that it is no longer a physical requirement. And so Paul actually uses this quite often throughout his letters where he will identify the new church as we are the circumcision. He will identify them that way just throughout, throughout some of his letters. Um, but we do have a contrast between the way that the Judaizers think things work and the way things actually work. And so Paul here is using words to kind of, again, flip it on them the way that he did in calling them dogs. He's kind of flipping it again by saying, oh, you think that you are? No, actually, the people that you condemn are the real people of God, the real chosen of God. Now, in breaking down, I put in the whole verse here, and then I have it mixed between Greek and English because this first part here, for the ones who worshiped by the Spirit of God, um, that part is pretty straightforward. But when we get to this last part here, um, after this, the ones who worship by Spirit of God exalt in Christ Jesus and do not rely on human credentials, this is where it gets a little bit like less clear as to what exactly is going on in the Greek. It's where you have to kind of break it down. Um, all of the stuff in Greek on here depends on this verb, are. Every bit of it, the way that it's understood in the Greek depends on this word. The word, it is the same in English. It is a present tense of the verb to be. Okay, so keep that in mind. <laughs> um, this first phrase here, um, breaking it down. Oh, no, you can't see my face. Can you? You can. Okay. So, and boasting in Christ Jesus. So that is like the literal, like word for word interpretation. So, and boasting in Christ Jesus, this is in the present tense. So that goes along with our verb. So we are talking currently. So currently his people, currently those under the new covenant, we are boasting and we should be boasting in Christ Jesus. Now in several verses, Paul is going to contrast this with the things that we should not boast in, which is our own self. So he's kind of setting up that discussion by saying as Christians, this is what we should be boasting in. Um, it still has this continuous. So it's not like, oh, you should boast that you're saved. That's not it. You should boast continually all the time in the fact that you are in Christ Jesus because it is him and not you. And so it's like a continual requirement and something that should be done. Um, this is going on at the same time. So we are, and it says here, we are the circumcision. So we are the chosen of God. And as that is a continual thing throughout the whole life of a Christian, so should also be your reliance on Christ and boasting in Christ and attributing to Christ. So these things go on at the same time. Um, now the second phrase here, um, literal translation um, is, and not trusting in flesh, earthly things, physical qualification. So that word, this word right here, is usually the word for like body, like the physical human body, but it has a lot of uses. And in this particular one, none of the normal uses fit. So when you're looking through it, um, it can mean like, like flesh things, earthly things, things that are not of heaven, things that are not of God. And so that's kind of what's going on here in the background, even though it is the same word, it's just like a physical human body. Um, this particular phrase, this is different. So up until now, we've had, we are God's people. We are to boast in him. Well, now we're going to shift and we are in a different verb tense. And so we have a little different. So this, the implication here is that the main verb, we are God's people, okay, is true despite all of the stuff, this earthly qualifications. 
So all of that is true without taking into consideration the fact that we are currently here on earth, we are currently in the flesh, and whether we rely on those things or not, it is Christ. It is all Christ, okay? The second thing is it indicates that this state of boasting would have continued from the past. So it would have continued from the time from salvation. It is all the time. It is going on. We are saved. We are a part of this covenant. We are boasting in Christ, and we are not at all ever should be a part of this boasting in the flesh because it's never that. It's never about that. It's not going to be about that. And so that shift really kind of puts the focus back on those present tense in the Greek. That's what it's doing. And it really highlights the need for that all-encompassing continuous focus on God and on Christ and on his work and not on ours. Does that make sense? Okay. I just want to make sure. I was, I was trying to break it down. I wanted to make sure that that made sense because it's, it's a lot of little details kind of back to back and the way that it's translated I looked at a couple different ones it's it's translated differently because it's kind of kind of tricky the way that it shifts a little bit um so kind of takeaway summarizing it all is that the previous boasting that could have had would have been the status as God's chosen people which again we're back to that outward sign of the circumcision so those people could have boasted because they were God's chosen people right? And that his chosen people, that status and that ability to boast in God continues even though the covenant has changed. But we do have to kind of switch the way that we think about things because it's not the law, but it's still that law was still the law of God. But now it's the sacrifice of Christ. So continue status as God's people, but it's a shift in the way that that works. Okay. Um, We are still boasting new covenant. Um, And now that it's been extended into the Gentiles, it is even more, right? It's even bigger. And then just boasting in general. And again, boasting in English has a really bad connotation, but this is not, in the Greek, that's not how it is. This is like like right boasting in somebody who deserves it and something that's real. So this is not how we in English think of boasting as negative. That's not, that connotation is not there in this context. Um, And then, so God and his salvation that's been granted by him in general. And so it's something that goes all the way through that should be continually thought of as the focus. Any questions? Yeah. So Paul ends his Galatian letter saying comment. He says in six fourteen, but far be it for me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. By yeah. which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. But neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. Yeah. Same same concept. Same concept. Yeah. Absolutely. We're either boasting in ourselves or we're boasting in Christ. Yeah. Right? I mean, sometimes you can say both. Yeah. Right? We, yeah. Yeah, to rid ourselves of. yeah. And what I liked about this when I was going through it is the focus keeps going back grammatically to that first part. It just, it just keeps pointing back every single clause. It goes right back to that. And so when you just look at the context of it, every time, every time you get a new clause, it goes back to no, we are in Christ. No, we are in Christ. We are in this new covenant. And it just keeps pushing that focus back. And we're going to get into where Paul is talking about his credentials and if he were to boast in a minute. But it's like pushing all of that back on where that focus needs to get. Any other thoughts, questions, comments? Um, now, I wanted to, I typed in the question here because I kind of tweaked them a little bit, but they are from your book. It was also in the implication section, and they don't have numbers. 
so I kind of wish, <laughs> wish they did to make it easier. Um, so this is one of the questions. So think about what it means to put confidence in the flesh. So what might that look like? What might that be? Um, again, this is kind of that idea of, of the flesh. We, you know, we think skin, that's not, it's like the human flesh, right? So what might it be like to put confidence in that, in our worldly things? Um, and then kind of in what ways are Christians tempted to do this? What are some of the symptoms of this? Because I think that there are definitely a lot of different ways that this manifests depending on the way that you're putting confidence in that. Um, what effect will it have? Oh, that's a typo. If we, do not, if we do put our confidence in the flesh and how can we avoid this? So kind of all encompassing conversation, just different ways to come at this issue because you know, even t- this is something that we as humans, this is kind of what, what we do. We struggle with and kind of it makes it so hard to work through this and not to boast in ourselves, but to attribute everything back to Christ. And so just some conversation about how we can avoid that.